the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Joe Biden sees dead people. And that's a gift that can be really beneficial to a president when you think about it. In case you missed it in the last few days, uh, the big guy has said that he's had conversations with past leaders from France and Germany, both of whom have been, you know, dead for a long time. And as he was trying to explain what he learned from them and what he told them, he started mumbling and came close to drooling all over himself, which he comes closer to doing, closer to doing every day. But uh, this gift, uh, it could come in handy. You know, maybe you could have a conversation with, I don't know, Thomas Jefferson about whether it's a good idea to have the federal government involved in every aspect of our lives. And he might want to ask him about the importance of borders. And maybe Tom could uh, tell him he's not running a democracy, that it's a constitutional republic. And uh, maybe Joe could strike up a conversation with George Washington, you know, Talk to him about that entangling alliances thing that George talked about on his way out the door and find out if George likes the idea of the country he helped to found uh, being a member of the United Nations and being involved in multiple wars around the planet. Well, we have nine months before the election, and Joe could talk to a lot of really wise people between now and then. Should be fun to hear what he finds out. Of course, that's if you believe that Joe's going to be the candidate in November, not something I would bet on. Actually, I'm, I'm willing to bet that he won't be. What's been going on with him lately uh, looks a lot like elder abuse. And the scary thing is that millions of people will be happy to vote for him if they're able to prop him up long enough to run. When we come back, we have the author of a new book called America's Last Stand. Will you vote to save or destroy America in 2024? And in our second half hour, the governor of Pennsylvania released his budget proposal on Tuesday. We'll talk to Nate Benefield of the Commonwealth Foundation, who will punch a lot of holes in it and tell you how it would make someone in the Soviet Union pretty happy. Stick around. Well, we still have nine months until the election. Right now, it looks like it's going to be uh, Trump versus Biden, but that could change for a lot of reasons. Both sides are saying it's the end of America if the other wins. Uh, Drew Thomas Allen has released a book, and it's called America's Last Stand. Will you vote to save or destroy America? In 2024, he joins us now. Drew, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Hey, happy to be here. Thanks, John. So um, we've heard uh, before that this is the most important election in American history. Why is it true this time? Yeah, well, this time I think you can kind of look at how far we've lurched left and acknowledge and understand that the stakes have never been higher. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny. You go back to McCarthyism and, you know, history books have kind of taught us that you know, the, the pursuit of these communists rooting them out of the government, you know, it was just kind of a little heavy handed and, and maybe chasing a ghost. Well, it turns out that today, the, the, since the Obama, really, um, you know, that that party is a, a true Marxist communist party. And look, the, the, the main thing that sticks out about this election versus other elections, it's not just the fact that policy wise, 
Uh, we've never been at greater risk. Uh, you know, national security, the border, uh, inflation, all these things. But, you know, policies can be changed and we can, even if it's hard, we can dig ourselves out of this as Americans and save uh, and, and reverse course. But, but, but what we can't really come back from is the unprecedented lawfare in which the Democrats are prosecuting uh, President of the United States, Donald Trump. It's never been done in our history. Uh, look, Bill Clinton actually perjured himself. He committed crimes. Uh, they let that go. You can go back to the Civil War and you can look at actual treason. Some people want to talk about insurrections that weren't. But back in the Civil War, of course, Robert E. Lee was an insurrectionist. He lost uh, the war. And uh, grand jury found him guilty of treason, but ultimately they, they got rid of the charges to try and heal the nation. So the fact that this is the third consecutive example of Democrats interfering in elections, uh, this is just a step too far. If we allow them to get away with this, um, we're, we're, we're going to be looking at a different country. It'll be called America, uh, but it will not be what people are familiar with. Well, in the preface of your book, I see that you say that um, truth is under assault in America. First example you give is the claim that uh, men can have babies, uh, which is a pretty good example. Um, and I, I've i just been saying lately that, you know, I think I said it yesterday, if I had a, if I were uh, running the campaign, or the advertising campaign for the Republicans, I would put a billboard up with uh, Dr. Rachel Levine's ugly face on it, and it would say, four more years of this with a question mark. Because anybody who believes that he is a woman, where else do you want to go with that person? Why would you want to talk to him about anything else? If you know, I know you have a lot more examples, but I think that's a great one. Well, it's huge, and really, what you're getting at is one of those tactics the left uses against us that is so powerful and potent. It's a Saul Lindsay tactic from Rules to Radicals. It's it's ridicule your opponent. Because it's hard to to combat it and come back from it. And there's plenty to ridicule these people about. We can't we have to take them deadly serious in terms of the threat they pose to the country. But as as serious people with policies and ideas, we can't take them seriously. They don't deserve it. Uh, They have no credibility. But, yes, I mean, part of the reason I wrote the book is because I anticipated what was going to happen, which is this propaganda war. You know, look. People can't. We should be able to win this handily if we actually just get our acts together, back Trump, and stop apologizing uh, for him, and 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 address the issues that are confronting us. And, and because we lived under a Trump presidency, we lived under a Biden presidency. So it, it's it's a really unique situation because even unlike Reagan, when he when he was running against Carter and they had that one debate, and he looked in the camera and he said. Are you better off today than you were four years ago? And then he won in a landslide. Well, you can say, are you better off under Biden than Trump? Nobody can objectively say they are. But the Democrats can't defend their policies. They can't defend the border. And so all they can do is gaslight and use fear tactics. Trump's a dictator. Trump's a threat to democracy. And, and, and what, what does this amount to, to for me is it's like we're in an abusive relationship. We are with the federal government, with the Biden administration, with the Democrat Party and rhinos. And. Don't underestimate the power of gaslighting and fear because people stay in abusive relationships because those tactics work. And that's what we're up against now is a a full-blown propaganda machine where they try to convince us that reality is what they're telling us versus what we're experiencing. Yeah, you list uh, lots of other truths that are under assault. Some of them are just as ridiculous as the uh, men can have babies. But uh, how can people who believe this I'm not talking about you and me who believe it's ridiculous. The people who believe this stuff to be true, how can they be saved in nine months before November? 
well, look, not all of them can be saved, but we don't need 100 percent of these people to vote for Trump. Uh, we just need enough of them. And um, look, I mean, d- d- you have to understand what one we have to look. We have to look at this like uh, these people are still I mean, they're American citizens. These are brothers and sisters. We have to have the, the amount of compassion necessary to actually try and convince these people uh, of the truth. And CNN is not going to do it for us. Nobody's going to save these people. But we have to do it. I mean, look, uh, you know, I, I compare this or it's been compared in some reviews and stuff, you know, common sense, you know, Thomas Paine during the Revolutionary War. And, and what I would say about that is you have to remember that uh, during the American Revolution around, around 1776, you know, everybody was a British subject and all they knew was being a British subject. So it was a radical idea to convince colonists to actually support the American Revolution. And so Thomas Paine came along, he wrote his pamphlet common sense and it spread like wildfire and people started talking about the stakes they started talking about it in public and that's what we have to do we can't sit here right now and say hey it's uncomfortable to talk about politics i don't want to get into it with people no no no. you don't have to run into bullets like our ancestors right now you just have to make yourself a disciple of americanism just like if you were going out to convert somebody to christianity or something like that you got to talk to these people and we can do it there are enough people that will come around um, you mentioned uh, this a minute ago. The Democrats uh, decided a few months back that they were going to double down on the idea that uh, Donald Trump is a is a wannabe dictator who's going to put an end to our democracy. Uh, and, and it's really obvious that they just every time they get the opportunity, they they don't even talk about issues. They just talk about well, vote for him and the the democracy. Of course, it's not a democracy. It might be a good idea if somebody would tell them that, but. Um, but that's what they're saying. Uh, is it working? Well, it's, it is effective. I don't think that it's, um, I don't think it's working to the extent that they have much of a chance right now of that being a winning strategy for them in 2024. Uh, but you know, that depends upon the Republican party and our ability to communicate and combat that. Um, because look, I never in my life and in, in my wildest dreams would have imagined that we could have been in a situation where American citizens would be convinced to put their masks on and give their liberties away, uh, because of the COVID-19 virus and people weren't skeptical and they didn't have any questions about anything. Uh, obviously people did in the end, but look, a whole lot of people bought into it that are on our side. Um, and so I am not naive anymore. I guess I'm awakened. I've been awakened from that, that, that slumber where I thought the, impossible, you know, couldn't happen. So no, I, I, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic, but we have to push back against that narrative because the left is, for example, they, they say we're far right, far right. What they try to, they try to take these concepts that don't even relate to American politics. Like far left is communism, far right is fascism, but the Democrat party is both far left and far right on that spectrum. They're fascists and they're communists. Socialism is the root of both those ideologies, but they play word games with us. And if we aren't smart and we don't understand and command these issues, uh, unlike the left, the left can be lazy. That's the reality. I mean, you know, they're the liars and propagandists. So we actually it's incumbent upon us to be more educated than them and better uh, articulate and make ourselves uh, able to articulate these issues to people. Because, you know, look, I mean, look, nobody's going to save the country except you. And people can't underestimate their own ability to influence it's going to take all of us. Yeah, you know, what's interesting is that uh, the venom drips off of uh, Joe Biden's lips 
when he says MAGA, MAGA Republicans, those um, extreme MAGA Republicans. And I've always wondered what it would be like if he, instead of using the initials, he, he talked about how terrible the Make America Great Again Republicans are. Because it's, it's, it's gotten yeah. lost of what that actually means and what, what those people are trying to do. Yep. Well, that's exactly right. And they know what they're doing when they uh, manipulate the language like that. You're right. I mean, how can I remember hearing Rush talk about this all the time? God rest his soul, you know, but like what is controversial about making America great again? How can anybody have an issue with that? But of course, the left and we're seeing it with the border, they hate America and they hate Americans. So they do not want to make America great ever. They're trying to tear America down. And that's one of those things we have to articulate as well. And so Biden is going to wage a war against reality from now until November, him and his campaign. Think about this. He's going to East Palestine, Ohio, a year after the train derailment, and there's no point in him going. Is he going to do any good there? But it's an election year checklist to take a talking point and weapon away from the right, because we're going to say this guy doesn't care about East Palestine. Look, he never visited you guys. So he's going to go and do his six hours and get a photo op. So CNN can then say, see, he cares about blue collar workers. There's the photo evidence. He went to East Palestine. Meanwhile, not mentioning the fact that he ignored them for a year. This is just what we have to know is coming. Yeah, I'm, I'm just wondering if Joe thinks he's actually going to Palestine. <laughs> he said he's going to East Palestine. But and, 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 no, Joe, no, that's not where they're having the, the problem over there with the war and everything. This is Ohio. Oh, okay. Because he's Cancel just it. pathetic these last few days. Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, history is going to reveal some just some shocking things, too, with regards to the cover-up of his health. I mean, we can see it, right? But, you know, unfortunately, until things are actually admitted by the media or acknowledged, you know, they still seem to be half-truths. We know that he's not well, but uh, we can't get anybody to tell us the truth. I mean, but I don't think in American history we've, seen uh, an administration kind of theatrics go to the efforts they probably have for him to actually uh, hide the, the, the severity of his, his mental and physical decline from the American people. We're talking to Drew Thomas Allen. Uh, he's released a book. It's called America's Last Stand. Will you vote to save or destroy America in 2024? Um, do all the um, predictions that everybody's making about uh, well, I guess you could say both sides. You know, the, the Democrats saying that Trump's going to be a dictator and the Republicans saying that, yeah, just as you're saying, that the, the countries might be done if Biden gets in again. Um, do all these predictions get, can't get canceled out if people would just look at the records of the two guys? Well, they ought to. I mean, I devote a chapter to that, you know, which is just uh, asking the facts and to actually have a sense of self-preservation. Um, you know, you don't have to want to marry Trump. I actually do like Trump. I mean, the problem, and I get into the book, too, is fighting these lies. I mean, the, 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 the reality is so much of what they've said about Biden and Trump are, are untrue. So they want to paint Joe Biden, of course, as this kind of grandfatherly, loving person, when meanwhile we know that Joe Biden's own daughter, Ashley, and this has actually been uh, confirmed, in her, di- in her own diary, she says that her father showered inappropriately with her as a young girl. Uh, I mean, that, that, that's just, you know, I mean, <laughs> that, that should, uh, you know, some, some, some that's people nasty. should uh, be con- exactly, you know, I have a daughter, it's hard to comprehend. But anyway, um, you know, so my point is they, they, they sell you this bill of, 
lies about Biden that he's a better moral or more moral person than Trump. And they try and sell Trump as this terrible, awful human being. And those things aren't true. So, you know, we need to, to ground ourselves in fact and reality. And we need to really just really focus on the economy, the border. I mean, ask people, you know, they have children or not. I mean, what do you want for your future? Like, I, I mean, I mean, it, it, it's just a, a nightmare scenario down the road for us, not far, if we don't start taking back the country now. And um, it's only going to get worse. Yeah. Uh, what's the most uh, damning thing about Biden's four years? Immigration? Well, that's a, that's, a, that's a wonderful question. I think that, yes, I think in the long term, actually, uh, the immigration issue is probably one of his, his, his worst. Um, you know, yeah, there's the wars and the, the, the issues in the Middle East and all of that. But this, this immigration issue, if you look at how many people have come in, uh, I mean, it's more than 10 million. We don't actually know. We just have these guesstimates, right? But, I mean, this is, this is really the greatest threat to us in the long term because they understand that it's going to take a lot of willpower from the American people and, and, and Republican Party to actually do what's necessary, which is actually to deport these people and make sure that we create policies that do not give them welfare and things that uh, invite them to stick around. And they're counting on that. That's why they've done this, because they think that we won't do anything about it. And once they're here, they're just going to fight for amnesty, amnesty, amnesty. And this will change America forever, because obviously, if you don't have a border, you don't have a country. And um, and it is, it's what they call replacement theory. Replacing Americans, actually, is what it is. We're talking to Drew Thomas Allen, finishing up here. He's uh, released a book. It's called America's Last Stand, Will You Vote to Save or Destroy America in 2024? So I'm going to ask you a question, uh, uh, Drew. Uh, what are the chances of either Biden or Trump not running, or, or both not running? Well, I think that the odds of Trump not running are very, very slim. I think the only thing that could prevent that is um, some kind of bodily harm or, you know, I, you know, I don't even want to contemplate it. But that, that's the only thing that will prevent, pre- prevent Trump. There, the, the same thing is true of Biden, but Biden, obviously, I mean, he's a fall away from being taken out of commission. I mean, that's just I'm not I'm not wishing harm on somebody. That's the reality. So I, I actually am concerned with a scenario where they get to the convention and decide to pull the plug and just stick somebody in there because we won't be able to vet them. And uh, and, 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 you know, I, I'm very concerned about that prospect. But um, I think that the, the plan A for Democrats, they do want to run Biden. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a big Herculean effort to try and mount a campaign and convince people to back someone else and take money in the organization. So I'm not saying they're not thinking about a plan B, but they still really do plan to do a basement strategy uh, again with Biden. Yeah, I, I think they should run an ad with a picture of Joe uh, lately, video of him, and just uh, say, can you picture this guy in four years? Uh, that's, that's, I think people think about that. I'm out of time, Drew. Um, uh, congratulations on the book. Good luck with it. It's America's Last Stand. Will you vote to save or destroy America in 2024? Drew Thomas Allen. Thank you. Appreciate you. Thanks. Okay. We'll be right back. Well, with all the insanity coming out of Washington, uh, sometimes we forget about what's going on in Harrisburg. There's a tax and spend Democrat in charge there, too. Don't forget. Uh, Josh Shapiro came out with his budget proposal a couple of days ago, and there's lots of spending. Uh, Nate Benefield is the executive vice president of the Commonwealth Foundation. 
He joins us now. Nate, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. So uh, why am I not surprised that you found it to be a fiscally irresponsible wish list that he put out on Monday? Well, I think, you know, people knowing, going, you know, going in, you know, that, uh, you know, a lot of the specialist groups in Governor Shapiro are looking at saying, hey, there's, you know, savings, our, you know, checking account of the state is, I got some cash in it so we can spend a, a whole lot of money and put out this huge wish list. Um, but um, voters should real, also realize that uh, the spending is far more than we're taking it in, in revenue and, and basically proposing draining all of our state funds and, and requiring tax hikes to keep, uh, keep this budget in balance. Uh, so much like Washington, D.C., which has uh, not had a budget that's in balance in, in decades, uh, this is very similar. We're just going to spend a lot more well beyond, beyond our means and ask taxpayers for more. I see there's a lot of money being spent on public transit, which um, the public doesn't seem to be using as much as it used to. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you're proposing giving more state money over to the mass transit agencies, state taxpayers, a sales tax, diverting that. Uh, we already divert driver charges, send it into Philadelphia and, and Pittsburgh to pay for these transit systems that are, are losing ridership. There's you know 40% fewer people riding these, these systems, uh, and they're basically sending their lobbyists to Harrisburg to say, hey, we need more money from state taxpayers, those people in, in rural areas to fund, fund these empty trains. So who um, who is it that's out there? Um, who are these lobbyists, and how do they benefit from getting more mass transit, especially in places where it's not needed, and maybe not in Pittsburgh or Philadelphia? Well, the two I mean, the two main agencies, the SEPTA's in, in southeastern Philadelphia, and the Pittsburgh uh, Port Authority of Pittsburgh, um, Allegheny County, um, and they sometimes you know have their own people on staff. They actually. Uh, hire contract lobbyists to advocate for more more funding and, and higher taxes, and then um, through that, of course, they have you know can be able to give out lots of jobs and contracts to to their friends, and that's been a you know a big political boost uh, for people getting getting involved in that. And some of the most you know, look who's on the board of those agencies; they're very politically connected uh, individuals, and, and often use that as their own fiefdom. Well, the Port Authority of Allegheny County. It's it, well, the, the, I'm old enough to remember when. The buses were private companies, um, but the Port Authority is not a private company. Um, so doesn't someone somewhere within the Port Authority of, uh, of Allegheny County, and whatever the name of it is in Philadelphia, doesn't somebody have to show a reason why they need more money? Or does that not well, matter? They, <laughs> you would think it would matter, but their reason why as well, where you have a budget deficit, we need more money. We're going to have to cut routes or, or raise uh, raise fares, and that seems like a, a threat. And they they bring that out, but noting like no, their their ridership has declined, so maybe they need fewer bus routes, or maybe just have yeah. the most efficient uh, efficient ones running. And in terms of fares, it's it's very interesting because um, Pennsylvania's our systems are among the least reliant on on fare charges anywhere in, in the country, uh, and you know, especially in, in the southeast that. Those are some of the richest communities that are served by SEPTA trains. Um, Montgomery County, there, you know, the richest county. You know, so asking poor taxpayers who are facing higher uh, prices at the pump to pay money to go into in these transit systems, um, rather than asking fare payers who want ride it to, to pay more. Um, one, it, you know, it's unfair, but also it, it's why they're so inefficient because they aren't able to 
convince people to ride them. They just want more money from state taxpayers. So how about if we have the people who, you know, choose to ride the buses and the trains and the subways, how about we have them pay for it? That's that's absolutely the route we should go. And, you know, if there's any state aid, it should be to help those low-income riders with, with fares, but not to simply throw more money at, at these bureaucracies uh, and, and who are de- demanding more money from, from taxpayers, um, because that's just not the, a way to run, uh, run a system. Now how much uh, waste do you suppose there is? I'm going to keep using the Port Authority because it's, you know, it's here in Pittsburgh, but how much waste do you suppose there is in, the, in that organization or that, that um, bureaucracy? I mean, I, I mean, it's hard to put a, a number on it, but uh, the fact that they've never had to you know, have competition, uh, never had to you know, really market themselves uh, too fair you know, to the writers, um, but they're always just going to the state for more money, um, just leads to innovation, leads to corruption, leads to um, patronage jobs. Um, that uh, a whole lot, they, you know, they, they should be forced to be run run more efficiently, and, and um, I think there's plenty of opportunity to eliminate waste in those agencies. Yeah, it's uh, is the or, or is public transit um, is it a, a a great example of why government should keep its nose out of things like public transit? It's just yeah, and this is something where you know we've used something. Uh, we call it the yellow pages test. That if there's something that can be delivered in the yellow pages, and this is kind of old now because we don't right, make yellow, right. yellow pages anymore, but if something that can be that can be done and has been done by the private sector, it shouldn't be run uh, by government. And you see that I think with uh, transportation transit, you know, bus lines are often run privately. In fact, you look kind of internationally, um, a lot of cities across the, the world uh, have really privatized their transportation networks and provide some subsidies for it, but don't have a, a totally government-run system. You know, I just thought of this now, but I don't remember. I was too young to pay attention back when it went from the buses that I rode as a kid, which were public, uh, which were private companies, to public transit. Um, what is? I don't know. Maybe this is an unfair question, but do you have any idea of the history of public transit in, and just say Philadelphia and Pittsburgh and why? All of a sudden, the government decided to take it over. Yeah, I, I'm not really sure the, the total history of when it really became the government takeover. Yeah. Um, on that, I, I can't speak to that. Uh, I do know that you know in recent history, there's been um, a lot, you know, you know, always more money. And one of the big things that I don't know if people realize this is, you know, 15 years ago, um, the um, plan was to use turnpike tolls. Uh, and the Turnpike Commission would pay money to, to transit agencies to run transit. And that's why our turnpike tolls have been going up uh, every single year by 5 10% a year. Um, the debt they've incurred uh, is not for repairs on the turnpike, but to subsidize transit agencies. Again, which, which, which people are using less and less. Um, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't plan on talking about this for, for this long, but you know, I, I, I haven't ridden a bus. I can't tell you the last time I got I, – I really I, – it's it, – it's at least 20 years since I've set foot on a bus in Pittsburgh or, or the subway or anything. Uh, and I see, I'll be riding at night at 10 o'clock at night, and I'll see a bus come by, and there's one person on it. And I think, you know, it would, wouldn't it be cheaper to just send a cab or an Uber to pick that guy up and have the, have the state pay for that? They, there's buses running with two and three people on them. And and you wonder why they're losing money. And if it's a and if it's a private company, 
they don't run that bus anymore. It just there's right, not enough absolutely. people to support it. Yeah, and I think this is you know a microcosm of what is wrong in, in Shapiro's budget. He wants more money for these agencies that have fewer riders. He wants more money for universities that have declining enrollment um, rather than putting all the money into just student financial aid. Um, of course, calls for billions more for our public schools, um, many of which have declining enrollments and have fewer students. Um, and I think really the biggest problem facing Pennsylvania is we have fewer working-age population to pay, pay these taxes because people are moving away. Uh, and uh, Governor Shapiro, instead of saying, hey, w- what can we do to make Pennsylvania more attractive to working families, more attractive to businesses that will employ people, um, is simply going the wrong direction, spending more money, and, and will drive, uh, drive those businesses and drive those families away. We're talking to Nate Benefield. He's the executive vice president of the Commonwealth Foundation. So um, how is he expanding corporate welfare? Well, he's proposed a a number of of new programs uh, to subsidize corporations and different grants, loan programs. Uh, The biggest one is a $500 million program that's going to be borrowed money. So we're going to issue bonds. Uh, Taxpayers will have to pay it back um, annually in, in bond payments. Um, to basically do a lot of site building for, for corporations. Um, and he's basically, hey, well, this is the way to open up our economy. Uh, but the reality is that is that is not what's effective, that picking and choosing certain companies to subsidize, um, while it can create some jobs in that particular industry or that area, um, it's not good for our overall economy when there's you know hundreds of thousands of small businesses that aren't benefiting from that and are paying our uh, very high uh, state tax rates. You mentioned people moving out. What's the latest on small businesses and where they're going? Are they staying or going in Pennsylvania? It's been an area where it's been very slow growth. A lot of small businesses, there's always new stars, but there's also a lot of small businesses that are closing down and moving. And I think you see that in uh, in some of the numbers of where uh, residents and other businesses are, are moving, that they are going to uh, Texas, going to Florida, uh, going to North Carolina. It's been one of the bigger destination states of late for, for Pennsylvanians moving uh, down to those states that have uh, friendlier tax climates, uh, lower taxes. They have better uh, regulatory climate for businesses. Uh, and Pennsylvania has been one of the highest um, burdens for startup businesses. So it's very expensive to start a business here in Pennsylvania compared to a lot of other states. That doesn't seem like a good idea if you want to. If you want the state to do well, to you look out there and say, "Yeah, let's let's have the highest. Uh, let's see if we can be among the the worst when it comes to corporate taxes and regulations." Why would it seems such like, like like such a an obvious thing? And if you see the migration to places like Texas and Florida, why do the uh, the people who run Pennsylvania continue to to uh, do the opposite of what you would think would be the smart thing to do? Well, that that is a a billion multi billion dollar question because even if you look at some of Shapiro's comments, he's cited New York and New Jersey as places that have provided big incentives for corporations and corporate welfare. Um, those are states that are the economies are declining, people are moving away. You, you know, much uh, even much worse than in Pennsylvania is experiencing. Um, why are we imitating these these states that are that are failing rather than the states that are, that are growing? Uh, and I think it is largely because of a lot of the special interests who contribute uh, to politicians who come send lobbyists in, uh, they are demanding more money uh, and, and pointing to, to that uh, as a solution. And, you know, for average voters, average small businesses, 
Um, I talk about, you know, my dad was a small business owner. He owned a uh, service station, gas station, and uh, repair shop. Um, he didn't have any lobbyists going to the state capitol. He didn't call lawmakers, and, uh, and that's where the those groups that, that do tend to, uh, you know, have a lot more influence than uh, the vast majority of, of families and taxpayers and small businesses. Well, the governor also included raising the minimum wage from seven, I guess it's seven fifty to fifteen dollars an hour. Um, what could go wrong there? Right, um, and this is you know kind of this is kind of this myth that no one has gotten a, a raise because the state hasn't raised the mandated minimum wage, um, and and the governor seems to pretend there's, there's no consequences of uh, higher prices to consumers uh, that there would be any lost jobs. Uh, and you've seen studies that show that there there certainly will be lost jobs, and especially among uh, you know younger workers, teenagers trying to get their first job, uh, nonprofits um, that you know rely on on kind of workers who are almost volunteering some of their time, and, and small businesses. Uh, those there is going to be hard hit uh, for this minimum wage increase, uh, which really isn't the way to to raise uh, raise incomes and raise you know lift people uh, up. Uh, it's simply a, a uh, kind of feel-good uh, policy that really benefits unions. Seems like uh, raising the minimum wage is is good uh, business for the robot business. For, oh, absolutely, and the, yeah, I think you've seen that in yeah. a lot of our, our kind of fast food restaurants and other places that have gone to automation, and also uh, in other sectors that have gone, yeah, hired or you know replaced workers with with robots and, and automation. Yeah, you said his ten-year uh, economic development plan sounds. Like it was pulled straight from the Soviet Union. Now, that doesn't sound good. Yeah, anytime I hear the you know ten year plan, yeah. it seems very much uh, reminds me of the old Soviet Union and, and the idea that hey, we can have central planning. Us politicians can get together and say, here's what the economy is going to look like, and, uh, and make those decisions in in the capital rather than um, allowing the market to, to really make those decisions. Well, whatever happened to school choice? Uh, if I remember correctly, uh, Josh promised that, and then bailed out on it about 20 minutes before the election or was it after yeah. i forget yeah <laughs> well and he did uh in his budget speech is uh the longest budget speech ever according to uh analysis uh 10 live um did allude to say hey this is unfinished business i want to see it, this done these scholarship programs um but also didn't include it in his budget proposal um so it's you know lip service to it and indicating his support which uh, i'm happy to hear uh but also feel that like he needs to to lead on that to get things, if you're going to get something done, um, he needs to lead on that and not simply say, hey, I'm opening the door to it, and if you manage to ever get it to my desk, I'll sign it. Um, that never seems seems to work. Well, who got to him to back out of it? Just the, the teachers' unions? I mean, that was sort of the teachers' union, and certainly that the fact that he thought he had a deal, and then uh, the Democrat leader of, uh, in the PA House, Matt Bradford, who was certainly backed by the teachers' unions, um, said absolutely not, and, and I think the governor, um, un, being unable or unwilling to get his own party to go along with it, uh, gave to their, their demands. Any chance that it'll, that'll uh, happen while he's governor and while the Democrats are in control? Oh. Yeah, I, I think there's, there's always a, a, a chance. Um, obviously, the state house is in, divided and uh, in, in Democrat control, but only by, by one seat, and so there's pressure there, and it's been a priority for uh, our, our the Senate uh, leadership, uh, so I think there is certainly pressure to, to do that um, with even within this budget and, and negotiations there. But um, it's got to be people coming to the table, and, and the governor's got to help lead on that if it's going to happen, um, because there is um, you know so much resistance from 
uh, from those House Democrats and, and the public sector unions, the teachers unions who um, fight tooth and nail, even for the smallest program to help, that will help uh, poor families in, in the worst neighborhoods. Hey, Nate Benefield, uh, Executive Vice President of the Commonwealth Foundation. Thanks for keeping your eye on him down there in Harrisburg. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, again, thanks for having me. Okay, that's it, and uh, that's Nate Benefield. I'll be right back. Well, we, uh, geez, I just don't think I've heard too much about Travis Kelsey in the last couple of days, but uh, apparently that's changing. I don't know if you don't know who Travis is. He's um, he's Taylor Swift's boyfriend. He also happens to be one of the best tight ends in NFL history, one of the maybe the best tight end in NFL postseason history. He's got a game coming up uh, Sunday uh, when the Kansas City Chiefs play the 49ers in, uh, in the Super Bowl. And um, this is uh, he was asked that now one of the things you have to understand about the Super Bowl. I've covered five or six of them. Um, I don't know what the number is for this year, but the last time I heard it was 5,000 media people are there with credentials to cover the game. 5,000 people. There is, I don't know if the end of the earth is worth 5,000 press credentials. Uh, it's, so you, you just, I'd say of the 5,000 there, 4,800 of them should just stay home. That would be my guess, and everybody would be better off. But anyway, somebody got to Travis uh, today and asked why people are obsessed with him and Taylor Swift. Uh, and uh, the reporter said, why do you think everyone is so fascinated with you two? And Kelsey said, the values that we stand for and who we are as people. We love to shine light on others, shine light around the people that help and support us. I feel like we both have just a love for life. That's a nice statement, but it's a hot, steaming pile of horse manure, okay? I mean, maybe maybe there are some people out there who are fascinated with him because of the values they stand for. That's not why they're fascinated with him. They're fascinated with him because they've been plastered all over the media for the last, what, three, four, five months, and it's the Super Bowl. And, um, and Taylor Swift is... Kind of a big store and a star and has sold a lot of records. I don't think it has anything to, anything to do with their love for life, which I also have, by the way. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.